0: Welcome to 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. Today is Monday, May 28th, 2012. This is episode number 37. I am Anders Brownworth.
1: I am Scott Barstow.
0: And today we'll be discussing the book, How Will You Measure Your Life? by Clay Christensen, James Allworth, and Karen Dillon. This is one in a string of business books by Clay Christensen, who's a professor at the Harvard Business School. And he's most known for The Innovator's Dilemma, which is a book about disruption. He brings the same point of view where he focuses his lens on using the theories that he's come up with for business and refocuses that on your life and how that plays out and the decisions you make and how small decisions impact you in a in a great way over time. First of all, I'd like to say, I mean, I really enjoyed this book. I thought this this was right down the center line uh for me. Uh I don't know if you if you did as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a compelling reading. I got through it and a couple of days, yeah, and and that wasn't because it's a short read. It's it is an easy read, however, uh, I just found it to be a a page turner in terms of the things that he talks about in here really make sense. And his approach, I think, more importantly, so he sort of lays out how this book is going to work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he talks about the idea that many people seek answers to hard questions with easy solutions. Yeah. Right. And rather than rather than taking the time to understand that complex problems require complex thinking, we
0: mm-hmm. go
1: and we you know many people will go and look for a book that's, you know, be happy in 3 easy steps or whatever those kinds of things are. And I think his approach, the reason I this book resonated with me is because his approach is there are theories that work. And those theories can be applied across a broad suite of issues, one of which is your personal life. Yeah. And by applying those theories, you can arrive at a different destination rather than just, you know, being disappointed again by trying the three or four easy steps that you find in a self help book and coming out the other side of that, not really changed in how you approach a problem. Rather, his approach is. Use the theories that I give you in this book and you'll be able to reason for yourself and arrive at a much more well thought out and lasting solution.
0: Yeah, and and appropriate for your situation, I suppose. Yes,
1: yes. rather than just these three steps apply to everybody, which clearly that would never work. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, that was the thing that I thought was really, it was, I thought it set the stage quite well for, and then he just goes about doing it. Yeah. Like, frankly.
0: Yeah. He, so, so the, the, the realization I suppose is that each person's life and what you decide to do is a complicated multifaceted thing. And in order to focus a, a theory on it, what you really need is a multifaceted theory. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be nearly as complicated as your life, but it does have to be informed by things that really happen in your life and where you are. In a sense, if you're early on and you don't necessarily know what you want to do or what the goal should be or, or something like that, you need to realize that things that you find, such as things that you don't enjoy doing or shouldn't be a goal is a valuable thing. Yes. Find those things and knowing that that's not what you should be doing is valuable. So I think the book actually played very well for people who were early on in their career and for people who have already been through a lifetime almost and already have played out quite a bit of where they are going to go. I think later on in the book, where they talk about picking your uh, long-term win and figuring out what that means in the short-term battles, which frequently the easy answer or the very obvious quick win is not cumulatively the the best. I think one of one of the things that really made a lot of sense to me was making ninety-eight percent of the decisions is a lot harder you know they're making 100% of the right decisions. Right. Because for those few times where you don't make the you take the easy route and you don't make it it opens that window of possibility that you will do that again and again and again mm-hmm. making the whole process much harder. Yes. That really resonated with me.
1: Yeah, I think the one of the things that was most interesting to me was he talks in one, it's one of the early chapters about this idea of what motivates people to do great work, and yeah. he lays out this this scenario where I forget they had come up against some problem in the company that he had started, and one of the one of the folks that was working for him said, "Well, we should just pay him, offer you know so and so a bonus to get the work done on yeah. time." Uh huh. And he and he sort of goes from there into this idea that many people choose the decisions that you make are based on what he ca- or what this researcher called Frederick I think it's Frederick Hertzberg yeah. calls hygiene factors
0: mm-hmm.
1: which are really just things it, it it, you can think of it like hygiene for your body it's mm-hmm. just things that keep you smelling good and you know healthy and all of those things it's just the it's the stuff of life it's not the things that necessarily are going to make you jump out of bed in the morning it's just and one of the things that i felt like really hit home for me about that was i know in at times i've made decisions based on what he calls hygiene factors whether it was money mm-hmm. or you know i've taken a position because it paid a lot of money or whatever that thing was and the what really struck a chord with me in that particular part of the book was this idea that money is a byproduct of doing the thing that will get you out of bed in the morning, Mm -hmm. that if you're really good at it and you're really into it, the money is just sort of, it's going to be there. Yeah. You know?
0: I, I think for me, what resonated about that, the money situation is that when you first get a big boost of money, it's very motivating in a sense, but very quickly it evens out. And suddenly you're back to status quo. I don't know if your, your yeah. standard of living changes and you just jump into a higher bracket and suddenly you have similar kinds of problems that you had before. And uh, yeah. it's just at a different level or in a different arena or something like yeah, that. And
1: in some ways those problems grow with you because yeah. if you, if you, you know, take a step up in lifestyle, that means more to take care of so your life yeah. gets more complex. And some of those things are going to happen anyway, yeah it's not like you can just you know live the life of a of a monk or something and and just I guess some people do. I remember hearing a story about I think it was Bill Packard where he lived in the exact same house his entire life, yeah, from the time that he started hewlett Packard to the time that he died he lived in and it was a remarkably small house I want to say it was 2,000 square feet or less
0: sure it's like Warren Buffett same deal
1: and these I mean that guy could have bought any house he wanted to buy yeah and you you know to some extent you hear the same thing about Steve Jobs where Mm -hmm. he lived in what really was a fairly modest house and the guy had as much money as anybody on the planet almost and so those are those are things that are interesting for me to th- really think through and this book I think was one of the things that was I really enjoyed was it really gives you a way to look at how you're you make these kinds of decisions because for you and I I think you know we've made a lot of these decisions some of them were good some mm-hmm. of them were bad yeah and you know now you you wake up and you're like hmm, well I've got to keep making these decisions I don't want to just drift into the sunset. You want yeah. to keep making a difference and you don't want to you know, I'm certainly not ready to put it on cruise control and you know, and just try and make as much money as I can and then let, let that be that.
0: You, yeah. know, you want to keep making quality decisions. Yeah, I don't think you you could ever really put it on cruise control. He, he talks about the uh, using and this is one thing actually, let me step back for a second. Coming from a business book background really helps it, if, if you're reading this book, because there are a lot of things. I mean, he goes into the, all the discussions of why things are the way they are and why some decisions are harder than others and all of that by, by giving you all the background you need. But if you already have some background in business, that really helps with this book. I agree. So one of the things he was talking about is emergent strategy. That's one that coalesces without a deliberate intent. Which means, uh, and he used the case of Honda and how -hmm. they came into America, Mm -hmm. uh, how they entered that market. The story is in the book, so I won't won't repeat it. But it's very interesting because certainly for the other books that he's written, a lot of it has been about that, identifying that emergent strategy, just looking at what exists and what's happening and taking that and running with it, as opposed to getting the best people in the world, the best business uh, units, all the money in the world that you need, and and launching out on a strategy that doesn't seem to be working, and just keeping at it, versus yes. going with what works, starting mm-hmm. with a smaller budget, figuring out something that works, and then going with it. And when you apply that to your life, and you sit there saying, okay... This is the thing that motivates motivates me, gets me out of bed. I'm ready to go because I I can't imagine doing anything better than my with my time than cranking on this problem or this situation or these people or whatever it happens to be. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't pretend that I sat back one day and said this is really where I want to go. And and I I really fell into a lot of these things. I mean, certainly, you know, certainly for me, I I went to college and did computer science and I shouldn't have because I'm not really a computer scientist. I'm I'm not, that's not what I do best. That's not what gets me up in the morning, but it was close. And it was important to know that that wasn't what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. down the road. You figure out, Oh, okay. I'm, I, I fell into it by lucky Chance in in some cases, but a, a little bit more deliberative deliberate approach may have gotten me there sooner. And I think that's a key takeaway for me. You know, yeah,
1: I, I liked I liked that the, the that part of the book where he discusses emergent strategy versus deliberate strategy. Yeah, <clears throat> and that there is a place for both. Sure, right, because there you know as you go along, there are going to be opportunities or things that come across your bow that you never would have even considered. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day and all of a sudden you've got this opportunity that and here's where I think the decision making and the, the the discipline of evaluating through a consistent process, because now you take that opportunity and you say, okay, does that line up with right. my my priorities, what yeah. I'm good at, what mm-hmm. you know, what I want to be doing. And if the answer to those is not an affirmative yes, then now you have a now you have a a mechanism with which to just say no. I'm okay to let this one go, yeah. even though it feels like a really good one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't line up with all of the things that are important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought that I,
1: was I thought that was really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the thoughts I had was to summarize is to say, you know, be emergent if you haven't found a deliberate path. Right. And that sums up, I think, the the key of the book, but and how the book works for somebody who's really young versus somebody who's has a lot of experience, mm-hmm. because it just depends on which side you you fall, and then now you know what you should dive into. Uh, yeah, it's an it interesting.
1: Good. It's interesting for me because when I went to school, you talked about going to school for computer science. I yeah. went to school to study accounting. Mm-hmm. I've, I actually studied. Kind of fell into accounting even I went to school and I was gonna be a lawyer and you know, really? work in Washington and all these things and yeah. I get two years into it and I just realized, okay, I hate writing papers. <laughs> and and it was always something I had enjoyed up to that point. But I had I had just enough of it in the first couple of years of college where I just said, I can't I can't just keep writing these, you know, twenty, thirty, forty page papers. I hate it. Yeah. And uh-huh. so I Switched gears and got into business just to try something different, and fell in love with it mm-hmm. and eventually found my way to accounting, which just uh, just made so much sense to me accounting and, and finance yeah so right. i get out of, I get out of school thinking yeah. okay well I'm going to go work at wall work on wall Street and as a part of my last semester, I had an internship in amico, and they happened to have they had just brought in the first few pcs the at the time really? it was just a hundred percent green screen mainframe oh, i love it yeah and they happened to bring in a few pcs It was on our floor was one of, was one of the few that had them yeah and on that computer was lotus123 <laughs> oh yeah and and nobody good time you know i was working with you know, people that were, for the most part, late 20s to early 30s. Yeah. And I was just an intern, you know, doing whatever I was told to do kind of thing. Uh-huh. But in my, at some point, somebody said, well, I wonder if we could do any of this in Lotus. And I just went in there and started figuring it out. Yeah. And pretty soon, I became the go-to guy on the floor for all things Lotus One, Two, Three. 2 huh. Interesting. And I sort of started down this path of, I got out of school and I never did accounting work ever. Yeah. I went straight into training on computer software, and you know the rest just kind of—it didn't just happen. But there were—it was—it's when I was reading this book, I—I I often was thinking back to the, those times and wondering, just like you were just talking about, what decisions would I have been more deliberate about, uh-huh. and just said, "Okay, this is clearly something I'm good at. Where can I find more things like that, rather than just..." Okay, well, here's a job that's in front of me. Mm -hmm. It seems okay. Uh, I'll try that for a bit. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I don't know what all of that means, but it's just I I found I was thinking back through a lot of the decisions I made as I read this book. And I think what's encouraging for me is that it really sets you up for being more thorough about the decisions that you make going forward. That to me is the real value if i were to say okay well what's this why why go buy this book there's a thousand books that tell you how to manage your career but this guy is first of all he's just world class yeah and he's got a perspective on life that to me is very healthy yeah and that it's he's clearly not motivated by money but also doesn't need it yeah i mean i'm sure he's got all the money he ever needs but it's not because that's what he went out and went after
0: it's interesting because you bring up you bring up initially going into law and then uh some other pursuits and it's not like you can completely pick your own way the classical focus was always a deliberate one a sort of a deliberate what are you where are you going to be in 5 years where are you going to yes. be in 10 years what do you in order to do that i need to do x y and z mm-hmm. and that still is totally applicable for some Certainly law, certainly yes, being a doctor, things like this, that, that certainly still exists. When you and I were in school, the future, or, or at least the applicability of a life spent in computer science relate, or computer-related fields was not clear. It wasn't clear that this would touch every industry out there. It, the <laughs> only thing that was clear, I think I can say, is that it was a growing field. That was yes. it. it. wasn't yep. like all of this was inevitable, and certainly none of us saw the impact of the internet at the time and what that would do. Nope. Uh, but at this point, looking back, you can say, "Oh, well, yeah, you know, it." Pretty much, there isn't a a industry that you can get into where really knowing about computers is not a very valuable asset. Right. Uh, however, it's it's not like I had that foresight when i popped out of school day 1 i was lucky to fall into a lot of situations that i did and and curtail my career move in a certain direction um yeah.
1: you know i often tell people people ask me what i do and oh well you must you must have gone and gotten a cs degree you know that's the yeah. classic response and what i've always told people is that for me computers it's, 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 it scratches two itches for me. One is there's always new things happening. Yeah. And that's the way I'm wired to a large extent is I like, you know, it's always the church of what's happening now. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that's what how I, that's how my brain works best. That's what I get excited about is when there's something new. And I don't, it could be computers or it could be, you know, some other subject matter, but it, that's just the way I'm wired is I like, being thrown in yeah you know, i like exploring new things all the time yeah and i think the other is just this this need for there to be for it to all make sense yeah and i think as i look back on it what's consistent between accounting and computer science is that it just makes sense yeah i mean the the rules just work yeah and if you if you understand the rules and how the system works then the rest of it is just it just all sort of works, yeah. And I think that's the thing that it, I often wondered why. Well, why? How did I end up, you know, doing computer science for a living, really? Or I, I, I guess I wouldn't call myself a computer scientist. Really, just dabbling with computers for a living. And I think it's it's just because these. To I think Clay Christensen would say, well, I have these skills, and I have this this bent toward things that have to make sense and things that are constantly changing. Yeah. And for me, I think that's why I that's why I gravitated away almost immediately from anything accounting and into computers because it was obvious that well here's something new that there's stuff new happening here
0: all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how in the book it's it's all about Trying to make the equation be much more efficient, like mm-hmm. cheaply testing the most important assumptions. Like yes. How do I quickly test something without devoting an entire lifetime to digging down the wrong rabbit hole? Yep. Uh, I thought that it just, you know, find ways, you know, to quickly figure out what makes sense with as little expense possible. Yeah. Uh, I think that was basically the, the, the big takeaway. Yeah, here's
1: a here's a quote that I highlighted when I was reading. It strategy almost always emerges emerges from a combination of deliberate and unanticipated opportunities. What is important is to get out there and try stuff until you learn where your talents, interests and priorities begin to pay off. Yeah. I, that was you yeah. mentioned something like that earlier, but mm-hmm. that's really kind of sums up the whole idea is that you've got to be out there and I don't yeah. think that process ever ends. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. because you're the, you are constantly figuring out within the context that you're operating, you know, okay, I'm really good at this part, you know, and you just get more and more refined and specialized. At, I'm really good at this part, this little mm. part of building software or building a caterpillar. Tractor or whatever it is, there's parts that you just get better and better at because you really start to focus and understand okay, this is the thing that I just get.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, and the way to pick that is to figure out what assumptions have to prove true for you to be happy in the choice you're contemplating. That's another quote yeah, that I underlined. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in many cases, it's kind of picking the right question to ask. and it that, is. That's really probably one of the hardest things. Picking yep. the right question and then answering it without expending a lot of energy going down rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's it. Yep.
1: I think the takeaway for me is, from this book, is I thought it was – and you mentioned this at the top of the show – is just his ability to draw parallels between how companies make decisions and how you make decisions as an individual. Yeah. And that they really are two halves of the same – you can apply the same theories yeah. and the same kinds of questions in both arenas and work in, you know come out with very good results if you will just apply the discipline and rather than think that your life is just this series of haphazard events actually evaluate each decision based on the things that matter yeah. and it's the same thing you would do in a in a in a business that's going well does this because you have all kinds of opportunities in a business that don't make sense for, to pursue. Yeah. But, and so you've got to be willing to say, well, this, yeah, this is a great opportunity, but no. Yeah. And, well, this is actually one that, even though it's a little murky, this actually, if it goes, if it turns out well, this is right where I would want to be. And so you can jump into that one while you say no to the first one.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we're running a little short on time here. Let me Let me quickly... Uh, get to one other point before we close. the The book is written by Clay Christensen, it's also uh, co-authored by James Allworth and Karen Dillon. So Clay Christensen is in the the later phase of his career, and he's a he's a religious man. And Karen Dillon, who is somebody that's essentially in the middle of her career, uh, if she's an editor. Uh, over at HBR, and then James Allworth, who is in the very beginning of his career, these this decision by Clay, I suppose, to pick two other people from different generations, really helped, I thought, to balance this book on just exactly what you were talking about and trying to figure out, you know how it's it's not like a, a laundry list of quick answers to questions. It's here's a here's a theory that frames how this works in a, in a certain position. And then let's look at it from the scope of somebody earlier on in his career. And generally it's talking about Clay's early career, Mm -hmm. uh, and how it places maybe more in the middle where you've got kids and family you're trying to balance everything. And then maybe a little bit later on when your kids are grown and, and you're, you're picking your, your third career or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that was, that was great. The, the book again is How Will You Measure Your Life Uh, by Clay Christensen, James Allworth, and Karen Dillon. I strongly recommend that you pick it up and uh, we will be back in two weeks for the next episode. Thanks for listening to 353rd.